0: Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, a father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions and pains. So every week with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, back to the ramble with a coach, a very good coach. I'm very excited to have Luce on the podcast today. So Luce is a leadership and life coach based in Vancouver, BC. With a background in business management, Luce has been coaching teams for over two decades. She joined the Coactive Institute in 2020, eager to gain additional skills and enable her teams to access their own potential. Gradually, her focus shifted towards individual coaching, and she launched her own practice, In the spring of 2021. Here we find ourselves just about a year later. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joel, for having me. I'm going to forewarn you. So I'm not on coffee (laughs) and I love coffee, but a couple times a year I try to come off for like two, like a week or two weeks or even a month. This one I'm going for three weeks and I have just the worst. I and it was like all at once. There's like no alcohol, no coffee, and like a lot less sugar. So have okay. you ever done anything like that?
1: It's sort of sobriety, but yeah. I now I have coaching questions. I want to know what that does to you, but we don't have to go there right
0: away. But we well, can get there. It's it's more of like a like. Do you fast? No, I don't. No, I I've I only I've dabbled with it, but I had. I had an eating disorder when I was nineteen as a runner, and I went to the World Championships and I, I saw the Kenyans, and Ethiopians, <laughs> and here I am. I'm at the World Championships. I've made it, and all of a sudden, I think I'm fat, and I was like the tiniest kid in my whole school. Yeah. Um, but uh, so ever since then, I've 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 struggled with the idea of fasting. But then yeah. when I started doing a little bit of hunting, and even even with travel. And trying not to eat the airplane food. And then in hunting situations where you just, sometimes you get into something and you just can't eat for 12 hours. I was trying, I I felt like I needed to tap back in to get more comfortable with hunger. So I'm also, I'm not fasted right now. I broke fast, but um, yesterday I did 18 and sometimes I do 24 And all of it's happening at once. The band aids ripped off, and I'm miserable. So, (laughs)
1: well, we're. I I I have so many questions about what you just said. That sounds so interesting. From the body dysmorphia to then moving back into agility around that maybe kind of stuck energy, like maybe that trauma around. But anyway, I have. Let's bookmark this. I want to say that I'm not on coffee either. I have hot chocolate here because I'm out of coffee, so we're even. Well, I,
0: I have mushroom coffee
1: oh i love that chaga
0: chaga 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 i think mm-hmm. no ch- that sounds just absurd chaga chaga is that it i got it. Oh, it's on no, the no. kitchen counter i'll check it out later i usually take uh,
1: four- yeah Sorry. the name the name just escapes yeah
0: well i usually i usually take four Sigmatic, which yes. is a brand that has a whole bunch of them but i was out this morning <laughs> so oh. So I, that fortunately I had like, my wife had bought this bag of another one and I, um, so it's in there, but I don't love the taste. Like, well, you're, you're from, did you drink coffee like extensively? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So are you like a lover of the flavor or just, uh, I need the caffeine? Uh, both. Yeah. Right. Both. No,
1: I do love the flavor. I take my coffee with just a little bit of cream or oat milk, no sugar. I like the, I like the taste of it.
0: Oh, me too. And then when you like travel around, like it just is the coffee culture around the world is so spectacular I mean, here too in Vancouver where we are. Um,
1: yeah. But Starbucks okay. is taking that to a different level. I don't enjoy per se. My, oh, myself, like the taste, I, I don't like the, 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 taste of their coffee, uh, personal preference. But yeah, it's a, it's breakfast of Shanna's champions. <laughs> coffee and it, cigarette it, a, was uh, what I grew up on.
0: I know we're not going to talk about coffee the whole time, but I, uh, mm-hmm. I had watched recently a guy on Joe Rogan, Michael Pollan, who is for front and, uh, first and foremost, I think a psychedelics expert researcher, yeah. but they were talking about, he took a month of coffee and then he took, he had, and then after the month he had this cup of coffee And he claims that to a certain degree, coffee is like a psychedelic Mm -hmm. and it has certain properties. And you most notice those when you come off um, and then go back on. And he's like, that day that he had his first cup of coffee in a month, he was so focused. He was like organizing the shirts in his closet. He was like getting rid of stuff he didn't like. He was like unsubscribing from emails. He was just in it all day. And so, secretly, I'm just kind of hoping for that experience on the other. Yeah. side Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's um, yeah. I mean, it's it's also delicious. So I digress from coffee. Unless there's anything else you want to add. About no, I think we're
1: <laughs> I think we're done.
0: I wanted to start with your journey from Quebec to here, mm-hmm. and I wanted to I had some questions specifically around that, but maybe you know because. I read just a short bio, maybe give you a, the floor to just share a little bit more about yourself or anything I missed and and tie that into your journey of how you ended up here as a coach in BC. Does that sound fair?
1: Yeah, well, I'm 46. So Quebec City for me ends in 97. That's where I grew up, just outside of Quebec City, by the water, by the St. Lawrence River. So I'm very much a water person. What brought me to leave Quebec City is going to university in Montreal, like we all do, did that uh, and for a little bit, then I quit university. I was um I was studying cinema, quit that, and then I met the man who was gonna become my husband. I went to do a season um just outside of, of like three hours away from Quebec City to work in the bar for a summer, met my husband at of the time who was also traveling. And then we just fused our roads. I didn't go back to university. It didn't go back to France. And then we started our life together, Uh, not knowing, like taking it day by day, really. But we started traveling together. Oh, let's do a season here. Let's do a season there. And we quickly got married uh, so we could get his papers because we were a legit couple. But we, you know, he was a foreigner. So we did that. And... You know, after doing a couple seasons here and there, uh, the seasonal kind of travel on a shoestring lifestyle, uh, we were in Mont-Tremblant. That's where we got married at the time. And then we decided after, when you live in Mont-Tremblant, the next step is going to Whistler. And both of us or neither of us could speak English, like hardly any English. So we decided the next step, we were either going to go to Mallorca to work on our Spanish or to Whistler to work on our English. So we came to Whistler. And we never left. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a common so, story for those who go to Whistler from other places.
1: I know. Around. We came in a van. We lived on, in a van. Did for, you
0: drive across the country in a van? Of oh, oh, course.
1: For yeah. We redid a van, like newlyweds that we were. And we lived, you know, in the parking lots of, you know, Whistler, you know, with the little van community. So you're um, like
0: OG van life. Yeah, like ninety oh, like seven ish is when you came. Uh, ninety nine, uh,
1: two thousand. We got to Whistler. Yeah.
0: I mean, either way, you were still. I mean, people. Oh, 100%. you were.
1: Hundred percent.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, we totally lived the van life, and there was it wasn't as stigmatized. Now, I mean, people like you try to do that in Tofino and Whistler, they just kick you out at the time we could be two, three vans kind of dwelling together. And we were really respectful. Don't get me wrong. We were kind of young adult, really respectful, not loud or anything, but we were cooking our meals on parking lots and it was tolerated. There was even a parking lot where we were allowed to stay overnight. So whereas now they just want to get rid of of oh, van
0: because van, van life's so popular now yet you know I guess there's there's some certain stigmas around it and I get it I'm often nostalgic of those seasonal traveling days are you
1: I want to get a sprinter van now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> at the time we had a Dodge tradesman 1971 like fully extended uh, like it was a big van um now my tastes have evolved a little bit and I want to get like a fully decked out sprinter van. And yeah. coaching, I can do remotely. That's the thing I've done in the last two years. I've crafted a job for me where I can work remotely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is life changing,
0: yeah, my buddy just did that. He's well, he is a mentor coach, um spiritual healer in Miami. I don't think he took his coaching on the road, but he did he literally did a sprinter van, uh, I think a year ago or eighteen months ago and drove all around the states. and oh. He didn't want to stop. He had, you know, he's got a wife and kids, and you know, sometimes people feel called called back to their, their roots or back to <laughs> that stable ground of home. But he's like, man, that wind takes you and it just wants to carry the, you know, some certain spirits to keep going.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's very much like me. Um, I grew up sailing and I'm used to small space. I I love I don't like a lot of material. I'm not, I don't like to accumulate things. It's very much in my nature to Freedom is probably one of my top values so uh to craft a lifestyle where I can make a living without being attached to an office mm-hmm. um and with the team in presence is is a big luxury it's been a big shift thank you pandemic
0: <laughs> it really did solidify it you know oh, it was it it was I yeah i mean for for how the last i want to say 7 years the idea of being a digitally nomadic millennial was accepted you know if you're going to work in tech you could work anywhere but now it's just uniform doesn't matter what job you have the the possibility of creating something remote is there and or just the general acceptance of it throughout is there and i think that's a gift
1: for some areas don't forget my background was in retail management right Right, and that is tied to brick and mortar stores, like in my case. So, in order to have this lifestyle, this lifestyle, I really needed to sh- shift what I was going to do in my life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've and I've cut you off, so to, um, please do continue. How did oh. how did you get from Whistler to retail to coaching?
1: Yes, <laughs> in Whistler, I had great experiences where I was able to build my business acumen really found, you know, mentors and worked for organization that provided a lot of training because I don't have a business degree, Mm -hmm. uh, but got a lot of experience. And I was kind of intuitively a leader from a young age. I had gotten my first, you know, assistant manager job at, you know, like 17, um, got my first mentor. Um, And, and yeah, so I got a lot of training, but where am I going with this? Oh, what happened is I left Whistler in 2015 when we
0: divorced. You stayed in Whistler that long?
1: Oh, 15 years. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's
1: where my family is still. Yeah, yeah. Whistler is very much like home for me. I'm now in Vancouver, uh, but I, when we uh, divorced in 2015, uh, when I was 38, then I, um, you know, got closer and closer to Vancouver. And I don't know, it's, it's well, what brought me to coaching. What brought me to coaching is in 2020, like a lot of people, I had a bit of an awakening, like a second midlife crisis, so to speak. I had my first one at 38 when I decided I wanted to live a different life and a divorce and, and moving ensued. And then during the pandemic, yeah, I don't like being laid off. Like, you know, a lot of things come to your head. And then I'm like, okay, what do I like about my job? what behaviors in my life are serving me, what is not serving me. And I realized that in my job, managing businesses in an operational sense, I was sort of, I had less appetite for that. I would, had more appetite for coaching people, mentoring people, uh, growing them, succession planning, all the people's side of the business. And I found myself spending more and more time there and, and getting great results. And then at some point I'm like, okay, well, Am I starting to neglect my operational duties? I have less appetite. What do I do with that? And then a therapist of mine at the time said, you know, you should really look into coaching. And if you look and I, you know, we talked about that guy knows me inside and out. And and he, he said, you you should look, you know, coactive, Co- you know, and, and it just started like that. I went for one course and then I decided to do the series. And that brought me to something that I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to be doing more of that. I want to work with human potential more than with numbers and and budgets and and building stores. I've done a lot of that and I just wanted to shift.
0: You touch on something really interesting. This idea of identifying what you're really, not only what you're Mm. really good at, but identifying what you're most passionate about. And Mm. fortunately for you, those merged, that doesn't, necessarily happen for everybody and some people can separate the two very well but how you know from your perspective what is what does that look like when you're awakening to the understanding of oh this is actually what i'm good at and or oh this is what i really want to do and how to step into that both from sort of your personal perspective but also how you might coach somebody on realizing that for themselves
1: okay i want it's really it can be really scary because once you see things, you can't unsee them. Once you know, you can't unknow. And that's why a lot of people come to coaching because they have nagging ideas of something they're missing. but they're like, well, if I, if I open that door that that you know that trap on the floor like, you know what's in there? Like, what if I find out I don't want to be married anymore? What if I find out that I hate my job, then what?
0: <laughs> there's there's this great quote that you just reminded me of. I don't know the full quote, but it, essentially the essence of it is in this process that you're talking about, you're going to have to trade your old life for your new one. And that sometimes means everything from friends to not that you don't love those people, just the relationship might have to get traded as you transform into something else. And that is so hard and so scary. You use that word, scary.
1: It's very scary, for sure. I wouldn't want to have done it alone. (laughs) And because I can talk forever, I always have like a coach or a therapist just to kind of help me see clearly. Mm -hmm. And obviously, a lot of practices around reading and journaling, but it was an exploration and also a courageous stock taking. Okay, I'm being paid as a director. I do this. Am I really... And, you know, with the pandemic, there was a lot of normal attrition, but also like reduction of business. And I'm like, okay, like if I was a business consultant, would I pay me to do what I do right now? And having the courage because integrity is also one of my top guiding principles and also say, you know, I would not recommend having a director in this position. I think it's time to let go of that position. Oh, well, that's me. <laughs> you know, look at that. Uh, and once myself you, too, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's the recommendation I made when I le- left my last uh corporate job is just I would recommend you no longer need a director here, that senior, you know, and yeah. so but think- having the courage, the, the whatever you're gonna see that you won't be able to unsee, is having the courage and the support to to look at these big dossier, you know, like files or whatever it they're big, big buckets to open.
0: Is there like a uh a positive self-sabotage in that where you're intuitively essentially like some people would say there's no way even if this role is relevant and redundant that I'm going to give it up because it pays me my livelihood and then there's someone who's has the integrity that says you know what this this isn't right but also inside of that there's a bit of a self-sabotage where it's like I am in one hand self-sabotaging this job and maybe there's I shouldn't be doing that. But that is also leading me to this other thing, this opening, it's clearing space to do something else. And I'm not saying that that's what you did, but what I'm saying is like a lot of people look at a relationship. What is cheating in a relationship? If not potentially asking, saying there is an unmet need. It's not, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but they, you know, if you've read State of Affairs by Esther Perel, mm. there's always the, 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 the affair or the cheating is always to do with some unmet need inside of yourself that you're unable to share and it becomes the vehicle, the unhealthy vehicle, but the vehicle in which you use to have this thing exposed, to force the conversation. That doesn't mean you have to separate, but at least you get to be more real when it's all said and done. And that's kind of like, I know I've done this to myself. I did it at my last, my major company, Naked, where you know I was living in New York, and I had this great opportunity. and I you know I'd sold my company, but I was working for it post-sale. And I effectively created every excuse in the world why, you know this is a bit imposter syndrome ask, why I shouldn't be there. And in a way that was freeing me to do something else, and in a way I was operating imposter syndrome, which, you know, we can talk about. So holy crap, did I take us off course? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> th- what was the point of that?
1: <laughs> well, the positive saboteur, I think it's a question of perspective, yeah. right? If you think of uh fear-based uh, perspective, lack mentality, like perspective, yeah, it could look like sabotage, but sometimes you got to tear down something to build a new, mm-hmm. right? And that is... In my opinion, a more empowering perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, not looking at what you lose, but looking at, you know, the tear down, mm-hmm. move all the debris and then building a new, so laying better foundation.
0: I like that. I like how you phrase that. How then, if we go back to that that moment, does somebody step into this action when they can't unsee what they've seen in terms of what it is that they want or know to be true? But there's so many reasons to not do it.
1: Oh, dude, like, <laughs> where do you begin? I had been a salaried employee for, for what, 20 years? And even, you know, before my divorce, I'm like, I'm never going to be able to live alone on a single income in, in this province. It's impossible. And then I'll never be able to not be a salaried employee with benefits. It's impossible. But at some point, it's the scales, right? At some point, the weight of maintaining yourself in this, oh, it's impossible mindset. Hence, I have to find a way to accommodate within that box that feels too small for me right now. That weight versus, you know, the the calling, the calling becomes heavier. And then then the teeter-totter just tips and you're like i don't know what that's going to look like but something needs to happen i'm going to go for it mm-hmm. and you can be smart about it you know you can hire um you can hire whoever you need to to help you um surround yourself with people who believe in your vision who believe in your calling like you know we can't do it alone completely but at some point there's an internal shift where you're like okay you know yeah i never thought at 44 years old, I would go back to school, self-funded, you know, without a salary and watch me because that's what I'm doing.
0: 100%. Yeah. I know it's, and we, I think that we have like, we have big ones in our life and we have little ones in our life, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And the little ones can happen every day or every week or every month where we're, we're just listening to the, the quiet, the quieter voice within us
1: some of us are listening. A lot of us are not
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: because they're scary. Mm -hmm. It can be really scary. I've had clients, you know, where they're like, well, I I run, I run all the time. I'm like, why are you so busy? Why are you working? And then going from coffee to work all day, nonstop compulsively to drinking yourself to sleep every night and going on repeat. And, and. guys like well, i'm just running if i stop running like what's you know like the voices are gonna catch up mm-hmm. i'm gonna see things i don't want to see you know it's 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 scary to 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 listen because what if you listen to something that's inconvenient like a voice that that you know and that that sounds creepy a voice but like a calling of sorts an intuition that tells you that oh, i think this relationship's expired mm-hmm. or i think I think i want to change my lifestyle or or little things i don't i signed up for this speaking event and i don't i'm not interested actually or whatever it is that and then you're gonna to have to make changes and sometimes it's inconvenient to listen
0: do you think that we always should listen or that we can create
1: it depends where oh. it comes from sorry to cut you no, off no, no.
0: Yeah, um,
1: I think it depends where it comes from. I have uh, strong voices that want to bail on things. Like I have a very lazy saboteur, like an avoidant saboteur that just wish I had an empty calendar and I could just kind of stay on the couch couch all day doing nothing. So if that voice is running the show and telling me to cancel our podcast recording today, I can decide to not listen to that. I know where it's coming from. It's not going, coming from my higher self.
0: hmm
1: So that's how I would differentiate it. Is -hmm. this coming from a higher self, a place where I want to self-actualize, develop, connect, like all these kind of higher energy callings rather than uh, I just want to check out, drink a bottle of wine and be alone. That's probably not as positive and rewarding on the, yeah.
0: Depending on the day of the week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, the bottle of wine too but
1: but yeah uh, that's for sure but okay. you know but you know what I mean by higher self yes. and lower self
0: yeah absolutely yeah. you know it's it's broken into what is well you know in artistic in, in artistic circles we you know we have the muse and we have what the heck does he call it the the voice that that stops us the stephen press press mm,
1: mm, um, I love that guy
0: yeah the war of art it's so good you know he talks about that and that's even if you're not if, oh the you,
1: resistance.
0: Yeah, the resistance. He just oh, calls yeah. it right? I mean, the shadow, the resistance. One thing that I, you know, in my own process that was really helpful for me, and I'd be curious to know if you do this as well, or you, you coach this as well, is is becoming, uh, is understanding the why behind the what. So, so understanding, if the what is the saboteur's voice wants me to sit on the couch and do nothing, why is that voice there in the first place?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, oh. and usually there's about five whys. That's yeah. a very arbitrary number. There's just a lot of whys. It's okay, well, this. Okay, well, this. And it's this, it's this constant questioning of am I really being honest as to what's fueling with myself as to why I'm in this situation?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Some people don't like, you know, it always kind of goes back to childhood trauma, and I get that, or or adulthood trauma. Right? oh 100% Yeah. um you know and 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 but once we understand the root of the behavior we doesn't get rid of the saboteur still there but now we have a a, a relationship of understanding with
1: yeah, you have staff. agency at that moment you have agency mm-hmm. you know and in terms of these voices or these like for me asking why the, the way my brain works, asking why is more uh, around intellect. If I want to know where these voices come from, uh, I, that's why I ask, like, where is this coming from? I've got this pull that I want to be doing nothing. I want to crawl under a blanket for eight days straight. Okay, well, where does that come from? And then because it's more energetic, I feel it's more rooted in my body, in my in my gut, in my heart. And And then I can say, okay, well, you know i can I can kind of follow the thread to the bottom of the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, because it's really it's usually deep. It's usually mean well, I don't I don't want to feel exposed. I'm feeling vulnerable. I don't think you know, I don't feel I have much to say. I don't feel talkative or whatever it might be. So, yeah, to sit with the feeling is a big part of it.
0: you think that the uh, the mental health awareness uh that we're experiencing as a society at least as a, in a western society i don't i don't yeah. know if that's the world over no um, is helpful or 100% helpful or helpful and also a hindrance to this process of really getting in touch with these things
1: uh it's both i think and again i'm not an authority in the you know but big fan of all the trauma workers, uh, from Gabor Mate to Bessel van der Kolk, um, and Peter Levine and others, but because I myself live with, with trauma, I think we all do. And for a long time, it dictated the way I lived my life. Right. And I don't want that. I stopped you know, I stopped, I tried to, (laughs) I stopped trying to do that anyway. And so there's a point where labeling and identifying to a particular mental health diagnosis is helpful because there's a relief that comes with that. Oh, I have complex PTSD. I have general anxiety disorder that makes so much sense. I am not crazy or same with attachment style. Okay. My attachment style is disorganized. No wonder I'm a nutcase in relationship. Like it helps to provide relief and to make sense of it. But if you stop at that moment and say, okay, because I have PTSD, I can no longer like, you know, and if you stop there, and you stay in the role of the victim, that's where I think it's a hindrance. It's, it, you know, the, the, uh, for me, anyway, like, again, I don't want to blanket anything here, um, or speak in a place of authority. But for me, knowing is only the first step. And then you're like, okay, from that place of awareness, how can I nurture myself into living with this thing with more agility? understanding what it's trying to do, understanding what extra challenges I can have. Maybe I can ask for accommodation. Maybe I can take it easy on myself, on the places that hurt, because I still want to be able to grow and evolve. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I, I look at it.
0: I, I, I totally agree. The integration, and then once it's been integrated, the continuing, it's continually activate that agency, like you said, to choose, am I going to be accountable to my actions in any given situation when something arises? Or am I going to operate then in the fear? You know, I I think triggered is is one of the words, although I'd recently heard that that was considered taboo to say triggered, but... What? No! (laughs) I I had heard it was like being ousted, but I don't know. I still use it. I have... Because I, through the coaching and counseling that I've had in my life, that was the word that people helped me understand what yeah. when I was in a, a negative state of operating, right? right? And I think that, again, I think you're right. I think that we, you know, we, because the pendulum swung so hard mm-hmm. from, you know, somebody described it to me as like, it went from, totally parents who completely you know let their kids get in fights outside in the front in front of their house because they needed to learn to solve things for themselves to yeah. helicopter parenting correct. to yeah. which is like you know we're going to we're going to hover to snow snowplow snow plow parenting where we're not going to ho- just hover we're going to solve for you correct we're going to make every problem that you have something that you don't have to worry about you don't have to solve and we've seen that in the parenting and and now we're starting to see that trickle back up into the adults. It's like, well, I, I'm just going to use the label as the reason. Correct. And to your point, there are, there, are, there there's a very large spectrum of if something is there depression or if something is there like anxiety, there's a, there's a spectrum of how much we can function and engage with the world as a whole. So I'm not saying that there's one, We use the word anxiety that covers the entire spectrum and doesn't. Mm -mm. But there's a great degree of it, of which has been captured into, well, because of this, I can't do the rest of these things. And that is hurting lives, I think.
1: I think it's okay to say right now, I can't do, I don't have the bandwidth or the capacity to do this right now. However, when I'm better, there's a plan to do more of it. Uh, Whether it's, it's CBT, or, uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, or exposure therapy, I talk about anxiety, you know, and panic, panic disorder, like, you know, whether it's to reacquaint with the things that make you triggered or activated, if Mm -hmm. trigger is, now a
0: uh, word i don't know i can fact check we have to fact check that after
1: <laughs> but you know in 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 um in the sort of friendships i have uh, i have um cuz i've met a lot of people in in yeah trauma informed spaces and and we say my triggers are my responsibility you know it's good to be surrounded by people like that can be supportive of understanding you know sometimes accommodation or or something Totally. And have kindness, kindness and support. But it's not their job to prevent you from feeling triggered. If you're triggered, it's because there's ammunition behind. That's not my metaphor. That's Gabor Maté's. But, you know, if there's something to be triggered, there's a charge underneath. That's your responsibility. So, for example, for me, if going to the bank, which is full, I don't know why I'm thinking about that. Nobody goes to the bank anymore. But let's say to a place where there's a large crowd what is my stance? Do I want to pass because I have anxiety disorder so I can go in front of everybody and be accommodated? Or do I want to learn to go when it's quieter and get myself acquainted with positive experiences and just gradually get myself out of it? I'm the latter. I want to rehab myself slowly into going to, to be, to have more agility but again, don't forget freedom is one of my top value. And to be agile and to be able to go in various situations is something that's important to me. And it might not be important for everybody, but do I think society should revolve around everyone's individual trauma and needs? I don't think so. I think as individuals, we need to have a certain amount of resiliency and flexibility, agility, to be able to navigate with each other.
0: Yeah, and this is this is the how do we integrate once we've recognized and one of the interesting I want to get your process on this, but I, you know because I, I battled moderate to then severe anxiety from for about seven years between twenty eight and thirty five, um, mm-hmm. which is such a is such a you know for anyone who's listening who who may have a similar experience, it's like it's one of those things that it, you know if your kid has anxiety. You're like, oh, well, they're just a kid, and this and that, and it's like, and then you've been a successful adult, and you've done a lot of really meaningful things to you that you wanted to do professionally, and all of a sudden you're floored with anxiety. You're like, whoa, here comes the shame train of like, why am I in this spot, and and having to to deal with that was a really interesting journey, and one of the most freeing things, and I did a lot of work. But one of the most freeing things was a simple passage from Anthony de Mello in his book called Awareness. And this is an old book; he's passed away now. He was sort of a multi, uh, uh, one who studied multiple religions, although I guess was was mostly a Jesuit and brought all these different wisdoms to a very mm-hmm. cl- in, together in a very clear, concise, no bullshit kind of way, like just like right in your face. And he just. He talked about it kind of along the lines of chop wood, carry water before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water after enlightenment, which is I think the Taoist or the Zen saying is like, you can be enlightened and still have anxiety and be depressed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's when you stop associating yourself with the anxiety and instead, or depression, and instead say, anxiety is present. Mm-hmm. I am not anxious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that little nuance gave me so many opportunities to ha- gain that agency back, like you know, like the way you phrased that, and uh, enabled me to, you know, heal as much as has healed in, in that time. So t- talk to me about how you help somebody integrate once you know, they've worked with you or they've, they've come to you after a counselor and they're like, okay, here's the thing. I know the thing. Now, what do I do to begin healing this? And as you mentioned, making a plan to step into other parts of my life that I want to keep living?
1: Yeah. So first of all, because now we, we digressed into anxiety and I am somewhat trauma informed but in coaching typical coaching is not therapy right so I would not take a client that you know needs some kind of mental health work unless they're like me at a level where they're really uh, proficient with with their triggers, they understand them and they can manage them and all of that, then yeah, we can build goals around how to change their life. But if somebody comes in and they really need trauma therapy, I will make sure to refer them just so. Um, But at times, you know, with very well-functioning adults, namely in, in leadership coaching, we will come across those voices that are trying, like, you know, those saboteurs. And we'll talk about, inner child and anything like that not in a therapeutic way like a therapist would do we don't look in the past and anything like that with coaching we talk about the present and we look forward but so I just wanted to mention that like even though I have my own anxiety I'm not I'm not a mental health specialist so I, I don't touch that I can speak to my experience if the client's interested in it because I have dealt with it, but not as an authority person. So, but somebody coming into like a big blow in their life where they're like, I have a yearning for this, or I I know there's something and I don't know what it is. We're going to, coaching is reconnecting them to themselves, right? So through a coaching engagement, coaching is never one session unless you need a tune up, like, you know, they're returning clients, but through a coaching engagement, you know, there's a long intake form. I get to know them and what's in their inner landscape like this, what makes them resonate. And often they don't know. So we're going to talk, we're going to look into values, boundaries, um, non-negotiables, like what's really important for you. Like I mentioned, for me, freedom is really important. So then agility and things like that, um, and uh, and yeah, we're gonna get to know more about the person and get them more of what they want, essentially.
0: Why do they not know?
1: Because
0: uh, we think we think we know. We talk like we know, in in to one sense or in one sense. Excuse me. Like we're we're out there acting like you know we. I- <laughs>
1: I can only talk about my niche, really, uh, rather than the whole human experience. Um, what I see, I mostly coach men in middle life. So that goes from like, you know, age 35 to whatever, 60. I haven't had any anybody over 60, but who knows? And typically they've been in that model. It sounds really old and redundant to say that, but it I still observe it, that they it's just the way they've been conditioned to just do, do, do. Okay, you go to university, then you go get a good job, then you make the six figures, then you get the houses and the wife and all of that. And often they haven't had much time to contemplate about what they want. Do they like, what do they really like? Like beyond being a provider, a solid person for everybody? Because uh, that feels really good to the typical man, gen- generally. In my clients, that's what I've seen. It feels really good to be like solid and on top of things and but under that whose life are they living are they living the life that they got conditioned to be the good boy and the you know uh or do they have appetite for something completely different often they haven't given themselves and, and that that takes a emotional intelligence to even stop and look at that and often they just don't they haven't had the emotional skills um taught to them
0: no I think that's I think that's correct and um
1: yeah do you think that's still like because that's what I see my coaching practice but maybe I just have a specific niche do you like does that resonate that men are still in that older conditioning
0: yeah i mean i don't I don't just think men are in the older conditioning I think both men and women are in still in older uh different patterns than their currently their society and 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 maybe even inside of them they're currently being called towards um but men have an interesting journey here because and it's it's not necessarily as old as time but you know even i don't know 20 30 years ago i can't how long ago david dida Mm -hmm. uh, he's yeah he's a special dude uh wrote the way of the superior man and this is all about that right
1: all right look at that i have it on my desk right now (laughs)
0: Are you ready? I know you guys are listening. <laughs> Same copy too. <laughs> That's so uh, funny.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so he uh you know he that was he the book 20, that,
1: about about 20 years ago, I think.
0: This this happened for me when I was 23 and my wife, sorry, excuse me, my girlfriend got pregnant and I was trying to start a business. Mm-hmm. I was broke. I was pretty much bankrupt. You know, I can't really be bankrupt at that, that level. I was, I was maxed out, let's call it that way. Um, there wasn't enough like on the line to be bankrupt. And I had such a meltdown and I operated so selfishly in that time. Because I thought my whole life worth was and purpose was to be this successful mm-hmm. entrepreneur, yes. right? Yes. And that was, that, there's no, I couldn't see anything else. Mm-hmm. And, I, and before, we, we got married, we got engaged before the baby was born, baby was born, we got married a year and a half later. And somewhere in there, I read David Dida. And to your point, he talks a lot about, he talks about the energy balances, right? For, for those who are listening, between masculine and feminine, he doesn't identify them as male or female. Mm-hmm. What is a masculine energy that's the directional energy that's sort of driving us towards our purpose versus a feminine energy that's more present in the flow of the moment? And, uh, and so he dives really deep into these, these energies and- he essentially, he doesn't give a blueprint, but he certainly gives very clear um, ideas around how to both follow your purpose as, to, and, and create that life of, of uh, stability and, and success uh, that you mentioned men find quite nice while being able to step in to this feminine energy and be present and understand yourself and understand your partner. If your partner is operating more from a feminine than you are masculine or vice versa. And so that really helped me begin this journey of, uh, of, of looking at both sides of myself Mm -hmm. early on. Right. So, you know, and and I guess to the question is that relevant? So today, and I think that that, you know, even though it had been around for 20 years, excuse me, I think we're still just beginning this where men, you know, even at a societal level were, you know, you're, you're now experiencing a GQ cover, the gentleman's quarterly or an Esquire cover, you know, although I can't say I've seen that specifically where men are wearing dresses,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and men's men are wearing dresses mm-hmm. and then you have the mental health side of things. and And so you're, there's all of these different exposures that I think are quite a lot to take in, and that can be hard to integrate. And I think, like I said, I think we're still just in the beginning of that moment. And I think there's there's a lot of people who need help understanding what that means for them as an individual, as men specifically, as an individual, and how to carry the load that they carry while still being a lot understanding how to be vulnerable to their partner, vulnerable to themselves, hold space for themselves.
1: Yeah. I want to acknowledge that we opened a couple buckets on the side, the whole masculine feminine polarity. That's one bucket. And then, and then the whole what's happening in society. I'm going to funnel it back to a closer lens around what I see in the man coming in front of me on zoom and says, how do I become a better leader? I say the right things, but something's missing. I'm like, yeah, because you're talking with your head, but you're not really present in your body. You're just talking about things external to you all the time concepts, figures, actions. But how do you feel in your body? How embodied do you feel? Because people come to me and it's like, how do I cultivate my executive presence? They want a recipe. Do this, move your hand like that. I'm like, charisma, magnetism, and executive presence will come from you. You have all the degrees you need. I talk to really smart people and uh, like really educated people impressively and I'm like no no like the, don't look in a book for executive presence or charisma magnetism it's how do you feel within you what makes you resonate when you open a meeting how do you feel like this I often imagine like a tuning fork you know what that tuning fork looks like that like right here along the spine like towards like the plexus like what makes you resonate why do you want to present that vision or what whatever it might be how do you want to connect to people
0: yeah Did,
1: being I'll- in your presence in my opinion or in my experience so far men have not been taught to be in their full presence they're talking yeah. they're, they're used to doing things solving problems fixing but really embodying that their body and their emotional experience and the sensation, all of that, they're not super good at it.
0: Mm -hmm. They, you know, men idolize men who do what you say sometimes unknowingly to themselves. Right. When When we look at a character. Yeah. Like a James Dean, for instance, you know, sure. Good looking, you know, devil may care attitude, whatever. But it's really this idea that that, character because i don't know the man is being himself is what's so attractive about that to us and that's mm-hmm. what the movies you know they show us and and, and 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 there's this you know i saw this thing i don't know how long ago it was you know tom hardy was talking about being in touch with his own fear and he's like you know and to the effect i'm scared of lots of things Mm-hmm. And he, he likened all the tattoos on his body as a tell that he was trying to front masculinity, hardness. Right. And so he gets the best of both worlds. <laughs> he looks the badass part, but because he's acknowledging the fear, he's holistically you know holding this, this energy of being who he is. And you know, that's why people like him. That's why people look up to him and he can channel that into his characters. And I agree with you, you know, because we live in a world, you know, it's not just, you know, it's not just men. This is why I say it's everyone is like, you know, ever since the industrial revolution, we have been in a framework of organization from top down, from our governments to our school systems, where we are informed what we are supposed to think what we are supposed to feel how we are supposed to act from an incredibly young age yep and that has helped shape a thriving civilization mm-hmm. but it has not helped people be in touch with who they are correct it's the antithesis of that right and it you know and so now that there's i think you know thanks to the internet thanks to social media thanks to all these people sharing these different things there's just this influx of exposure to well, wait that's not the only way <laughs> you know
1: or something's missing mm-hmm. because when i have a company leader in front of me saying how do i connect like how do i influence how do i communicate better well how you're supposed to communicate if the foundation from you to you is not solid then you're afraid you avoid conflict okay you're grown man and you know sitting on a fortune whatever company and you're afraid of conflict or you're just going to steamroll everybody because you actually don't want any answers to your you're in a bark orders that's you, you could see it's a little coward it's an avoidance strategy you know the real mature masculine man will actually be able to connect with people and you know and and influence it from the inside out not from the outside in mm-hmm. I always say to my people like leadership starts with self mm-hmm. like what kind of leader are you being for yourself what's your starting point where are you taking your, yourself what's SWOT analysis you know strengths weaknesses opportunities threats like what what's your profile what what do you need to work better what kind of work environment you need to thrive what sort of pr- leadership profile are you and who are you going to surround yourself with to make high performing teams all these things typically my clients have limited knowledge about mm-hmm. But it starts with them. It's an inside out. And that's the thing. So as a coach, we bring them back to their essence, getting acquainted with their essence, because that's all they have to work with as leaders. And we're leaders in every day, even people who don't work in leadership per se, we're leaders, we're, we're, we have families, we have houses, and, you know, we're neighbors and community members, there's a way we comport ourselves that, you know, requires a certain amount of leadership. So like how's your foundation around from you to you beside what you do and accomplish? How, how are you? Right.
0: <laughs> so to, you know, cause you might not want to answer that question from the standpoint of your individual clients or you could without a name, but if you were maybe asking me, then take whichever path you want, how do they step into that? Because it's one thing to tell them, You have to align you to you. You have Mm -hmm. to. And let's say they get it. They're like, no, you're right. I got to align me to me. Mm -hmm. Then what do they do?
1: Well, the thing is that in the safety, you know, when we coach somebody, we have an alliance and, you know, people know they have agency. There's their sessions. They take the sessions where they want to go. They don't have to answer. You know, there's a certain amount of uh, protection, like a container of safety built. But then things like, okay, in this particular situation, take a step back, take a breath. Like, what's your gut telling you? Oh, I really want to get rid of that person. Okay. So let's explore that. What's around that person? Well, you know, and then we find out the root cause of them wanting to fire that person is because they can't talk to them or, or or something like that. So we just go one step at a time deeper into exploration. And then we can tie in like different tools, like values, for example, oh, I can't stand that person. And Then by going, so it's a long process, but by going down in the rabbit hole, we find out that that person, let's say, is very arrogant and my client's top value is humility and and quietness or whatever, right? So they like, I can't stand that person because that, that hits a value. Like for me, somebody that doesn't have integrity or that would be dishonest would be somebody that's kind of toxic to me. Um, or that would make me grow depending how you want, but it's, it's through asking question and asking the the client to tune into themselves
0: and the realization loose being, okay, this person might be arrogant and my value might be humility, but then what do I do with that? Because Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm operating still from a bias of my value. Correct. So helping them unpack the decisions that they make. Based on okay, now that I know that I'm this is the two different things that doesn't necessarily mean I should fire this person. In that you, no, totally
1: person. not. Total, absolutely. A few ways to 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 go about that, and and again, that takes time. So it's it's hard to just summarize. But okay, let's say Steve is arrogant. Well, that's your perspective. Steve might be overcompensating because he feels undereducated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He might be very lonely at home. And he wants to talk to a lot of people when he's at work because he's craving connection. Mm -hmm. The more we have knowledge of our own internal landscape, the more we can read people, have compassion, empathy, give them a little bit of what they need if that's available, and cutting people some slack. (laughs) Right? So... The more self knowledge we get about ourselves, the more we can, instead of just saying, oh, you know, arms crossed, this person's arrogant. I can't stand them. Okay, okay, there's more to that. How about we walk a mile in Steve's shoe? Or about how, how about we go with Steve with curiosity? Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm wondering, you're like, you're always the loudest guy in the room. Like, why is that? Maybe not that directly. That's my Frenchness. Why, but I mean, why
0: not? That's, I dig that.
1: <laughs> but, but coming with curiosity, like, you're always the first one arrive in the morning. I'm curious, like, do you really like your job, eh? And then get him to open up about why is it, especially as a leader? Just get curious about your people. But if you're not curious about yourself, that does not come naturally. Yeah, and if you don't have compassion for yourself, there's no way you have compassion for others. I, yeah, there could be uh, yeah, there could be exceptions to that, but generally, it's not something that you'll think about having
0: it's the mirror exercise mm-hmm. right how everything we can in that way if we're curious look at everything that we're facing as a mirror to okay what is that to me it
1: that triggers works. something within us mm-hmm. and often there are values that are getting um stomped over like i value waiting in line quietly i value order and discipline and steve comes in the cafeteria takes the whole show calls people by their first name basis like and he, he's a bit of a arrogant character you know that can be somebody that's just very it's easier to point fingers rather than say okay what does it trigger within me
0: right let's let's travel back a little bit just a little bit more towards men because i always looked at your website and and uh I was, Canada. I was
1: trying, I was trying that website. I wasn't sure I was fully comfortable. I'm giving it a, I'm giving it a spin. What did you think?
0: Of your website? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a great personal site that gives them a sense of who you are and why you're so passionate about what mm. it is that you do. Yeah. And okay that works, <laughs> you know, yeah, that absolutely works. You know, I think if you want it, there's places you could be more direct with the process you offer. Yeah, um, that would that would be my feedback.
1: <laughs> Very good. Yeah, for sure.
0: You you yeah. all you all be able to check out and see 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 about that because yeah, the, the website will be in the show notes and you'll say it at the end. But I um I was just so taken because when I got to the section about men, mm. which again if that's your niche should be even maybe more front and center on the site cuz it hits you it like if you look way of the superior man david davis book cover right it's so front and center i want to be a superior man that sounds great i'll read that right that that's you know that's just in a noisy crowded world it's just it's a very great way to seize the microphone and powerful men historically have challenges with other powerful men. Yeah. You know, cuz there's ego yeah. involved. Yeah. But love strong women. Love strong women to tell them what to do. Mm. It's it's not the weirdest thing. It makes complete sense. And so, you know, it's not, you know, obviously there's great male coaches out there for for strong mm. yeah. men. Okay, I get that. Yeah. But for those in which that creates too much of a you know the energies are just too big and at each other you know, or they don't open that door for this this exact practice we're talking about a strong woman is is a gift and um and that so in what i'm saying is that's what you are a gift to help strong men reconnect with or connect for the first time <laughs> this thing that's inside of them and so let's let's go back to again maybe packaging up the a question of the question, D, why you felt called to this, to, to this specifically or, or what you were seeing at this moment in time, and you thought you could help make a difference for men?
1: It was not strategic. It's not like I didn't look at the market and made, yeah. people chose me. I did my course curriculum twice because I wanted to. I did it one time as a coach, as a as a student, and one time uh, as a back-of-the-room leader. And following doing that, I've had three men reach out to me. And I was doing that as an assistant, like for free, like, you know, volunteer. And they said, you know, you coached me last year, and I'm still thinking about it. I'm like, what? Like, I was just doing a demo <laughs> as part of a course, and, uh, and one of them, uh, well, two, one of them, uh, yeah, two of them, I'm still coaching uh, regularly with. And so I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And then I asked these people, cause you know, we had met in class. So I'm like, so what, what made you like, you know? And he said, one man in particular said exactly what you said. I don't want to coach with a dude. And, you know, you just are so focused or whatever, but the strength, he said that like the strong woman and I'm like, oh, interesting. So yeah, I I resonate with uh, with what you say. So it's experiences like that, like little synchronicities or little epiphanies uh, or sitting in a coaching session and seeing that I have way more impact. Like, I don't know, I just can get through where they need to go in a way that's healing. I don't know if that's because they have more work to do or I'm just better with with men, but I've had, uh, and I, I coach women too, especially in leadership, it's kind of 50-50, but in my uh, own, like in, in this life coaching practice, it's most, it's men only, but I don't know, it's just where I've had the most results and the most breakthroughs. Like men crying in front of me and say, what is, what are, what's this? Well, these are tears. It's like, I haven't cried since I was a child. And that's not obviously the goal. But when a man starts listening to his heart and what they want and their yearning for the first time in like 30 years, yeah, there's going to be a few tears. It's normal. They're, they're softening a little bit and they're letting things in. And so I leave these sessions and I'm like, wow, did I make a difference. I'm I'm making a difference for somebody's life right now. Mm-hmm. And it feels really good. So the reward, it just and I, I think I have a knack for it. So that's how it came. I feel people chose me.
0: And what 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 are you seeing in general as the things that many men are coming to you with? And the the reason I pose this question is because I want to know if there's wives or girlfriends or partners listening to this. Maybe ultimately, I always want to know how the partner can support the other person in their journey on this podcast. And, I, and it's actually generally come from the other side because I've had Kundalini instructors and womb journey instruct healers and shamans and it's generally women females who are they are catering to and so and these things are very sometimes esoteric sometimes just a little bit different well very different from the you know basic medical narrative that you see on tv although that's shifting too and so i would say how can you know how can a man or the partner support her in this journey. So we're flipping that. That's why I'm asking this question is like, what are the things that might not, that they're coming to you about that might not be being said in, in the relationship that, that creates that tension of, well, I know there's something there for him. I don't know how to engage to help him because I'm not trained in that. You know what I mean? But I can feel it because I too am a feeling being. And, and then we just it often just gets left swept under the rug watch netflix watch youtube whatever all these things to distract us from like the essence of what's really there so uh, it's probably a terrible way to pose that question but
1: it's it, it's tricky and i'm not saying my clients represent all men so always have that caveat there and often i will i will tell you that i've had you know men say oh i don't talk about the, the stuff we talk about i don't talk about that with my my wife you know that's they're not there. They're in the in the doing and in the business of raising children and and you know making the money. They don't really have heart to heart conversation about you know sacred sexuality and polarity. <laughs> like you know they're just kind of busy doing things. And yeah, it's it's tough. And even it's tough for a woman a woman to see her man if she's not ready to accept that the man has an emotional landscape. And it doesn't mean is in his feminine. Like, how do you keep the desire if your man starts, you know, if your man starts being all like weepy, you know, like, are you ready for that? Are you ready to hold space for that and to hold him in high esteem, even if he has traumas, even if he needs you to cut him a freaking break once in a while, you know, like you as a partner have to be ready for that and be ready to adjust yourself that your man is desirable, even when he's not like super alpha performer, you know?
0: That's interesting that you brought up the sacred sexuality or the polarity, because what you're talking about is how is the, the energy balance, the magneticism between a couple that is built on those, those opposites coming together. Right. And then when you remove that, you have to recreate it or recultivate it in different ways or know how to do that or know how to, like you said, to hold space for a moment and then moment being a day, a week, a month, a second. Right. And then.
1: The thing is it it depends on what you think. If you think, if you're, you know, the basic garden variety, basic person, things that masculinity would be uh, how you show up, how you, you know the alpha like the whole like projecting you know um it's projecting strength and reliability and all of that i think the more mature masculine is to like you said before to to be with your fears to be intentional about what's going on for you and i think that the more courageous way but it does take a certain like a little bit of evolution a little bit of a shift
0: it certainly does I think about, you brought up parenting and that, you know, that was something I i had been thinking about throughout our conversation was when we talked about mirrors specifically too, and how often when we're parenting, we're, we're parenting ourselves because we are showing up same way you talked about, like, why is what my kid's doing, pissing me off so much right now? Yep. What's that doing for me? And it's like, it's everywhere and it's almost critically important, you know, if we're talking about the men too, to be involved in that parenting process so that they too can have that feedback loop, not obviously for a gazillion reasons, but that feedback loop of seeing how they show up there. Where's their vulnerability there? Where are they, why are they irate about X, Y, or Z? You know, that's been a really valuable thing for me to, you know, if I've had a blow up to be like, use that as a reset mm-hmm. to, oh gosh, why did I just do that? That was really unfair of me. What's going on for me that I would do that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I've tried to step in to explain that to my, my eldest at times to say like, listen, I, this is where I was operating from and I'm sorry, yeah. you don't deserve that whilst trying to maintain the boundary of we're not I'm not confiding in you. We're not, I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. depolarize the parent child relationship, Mm -hmm. but to know that like, because I don't want them to have concepts of like I had concepts. Like for instance, I have, you know, my parents, uh, my mom specifically, and she's talked about this on the podcast. So it's not, it's not a state secret by any means, you know, she wanted to be a successful athlete and she wasn't. And I became the vehicle Mm -hmm. for that for her, you know, and then that set me up for so many things, good and bad. Mm -hmm. And so, but I never knew until I was an adult that that's where she was operating from. That that it was a vicarious living through of, right. And so again, you know, I'm not really asking a question here, but I'm just sort of musing just our children are there, they they become another mirror for us to see ourselves in a different way than in the workplace sometimes. Mm-hmm. so
1: Two ways I can go about that. I can tell you that it was really hard for me to raise children because when they got to an age where significant trauma happened to me, it was so hard, especially to see my little girl who looked exactly like me and to see how much care she needed and how much attunement she needed and for me to be able to give that like you know to 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 rewrite history was really triggering so yeah raising children will push all of our buttons and often we are so I want to close that bucket and but often I want to say that were just run spread so thin. We got work. Um, I know in our family life we did, we had opposite schedules, so we didn't have the the children with um, caregivers outside of ourselves for the most part. Uh, and it's like, oh, there you go. She's fed. He's didn't nap today or whatever. And then passing the kids, and off you go like two ships in the night. And that leaves us with very little resiliency in my in my case. I'm going to speak to me. Uh, very little patience. And at the end of my a rope a lot of the time. Right. So, um, so it's important to, yeah, go back and model to our children what self-care looks like. And that's not something I had been modeled personally. I don't think self-care was really big in the eighties or late seventies and, and model to our children. Ooh, I'm really tired. I'm kind of at the end of my rope right now. Mm-hmm. How am I going to care for myself so I can care for you too, you know, and not in a way that they feel they have to carry your burden, but more in a way that it's it's normal to have emotions. It's normal to feel discouraged sometimes or to feel like an assignment is too big, but we can, we can do it. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, Brené Brown has a great manifesto on her dare to lead uh, website. I think it's on the dare to lead website, parent manifesto, like in this house we are, I take care of myself so you can, you know, like we're just modeling real authentic parenting experience. Like it can be hard having so many emotions is hard and our children have so many, we need to teach, to be attuned to them, to teach them how to be with them. But then I'm going to be out of a job pretty soon. But uh, Mm -hmm. if people grow up to be self-actualized individuals, but in, and in order to have that distance, to be able to make these calls we have to stop long enough and say okay am i being the parent i want to be right now you know and just change the course ever so slightly just say okay i haven't been spending time with them much i've stayed at work longer cuz home seems overwhelming how how can i change that next week okay i'm going to make an effort and or i'm going to i'm not going to cook cuz that puts me over the edge i'm going to order in but i'm going to spend time with the kids like you don't know, choose your your battles and in whatever capacity you have but be intentional is, but again, to be really feeling intentional, you need to stop long enough to percolate what needs to be heard, right? To- mm-hmm.
0: This, you know, this too can lead to the letting go, the exiting of your old life mm-hmm. and has its consequences. And I, I just say this from personal uh, example, because a personal experience, excuse me, because, you know, I was, I was that, 80 hour a week workaholic for mm. many years, traveling 200 days a year. And, mm. um, I was faced with, uh, I don't know my daughter all that well. And, you know, my wife's prepared to leave me yep. if I don't change. And, you know, when we look at coaching, it's like, so what is the action item that gets us the result that we want versus just, you know, stating the problem that I'm the situation that I'm faced with. And, that started for me as um, I actually just started taking them everywhere with me uh, on the road, anywhere I could, and it was not like I was not a wealthy man. It was not; it was a it was a financial challenge to do yeah. it. Fortunately, my daughter flew free, yeah, um, but uh, for a bit. But you know, so that that then bled into well, you know what? I'm I'm just not as much as I want to achieve these things in my life. They're not worth missing my life. Uh, And how do I strike that balance? And so what I'm saying, like, you know, we we moved to a farm, we've done all these different things that pulled me out of the corporate world in a way that has for a period of time been resetting itself still. So, you know, I'm no longer the guy having drinks at the bar with the new prospective whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's a downside to that you lose some of that momentum. You lose some of that not being in every conference, you know, from Florida, Chicago to New York means I'm missing opportunity. There's an opportunity cost. I'm gaining that with my family and it's recalibrating in different ways professionally, but that's a really scary journey because, you know, one, we celebrate success. You know, divorce is acceptable and success is... You know, I, what I, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, we put in, we put success first is all I really mean by that as the number one thing in life. And I think that that is shifting. And I think that we're looking at saying, how can we have other things as well? You're talking about a van and driving around and doing both at once. And that's beautiful. And so, Frick, I don't know where I was going with that. I, I say Frick. I don't usually say Frick. My cousin says Frick and uh, <laughs> he doesn't like swearing. I don't mind swearing, but uh, I guess I'm speaking to him too much.
1: To you say, on like, anything? <laughs> I think you want to know how do you make the changes, right? Uh, I took a few clients through a program. I made a program uh, really, really with, like that's called playbook for your life. Not the mm-hmm. best. Like very basic, it's a playbook. I mean, I come from a business background. It's 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 not a. I don't know. I'm not really happy with the name, but it worked, and it had a few model, a few modules, going from you know general to to specific, and at the end, you know, towards the end, is goals and objectives, right? With like deliverables, essentially. But all before that, there's a lot of exploration of values, boundaries, lifestyle, definition of success is a module. I think it's module five. What does success mean to you? Whose vision of success are you living right now? Your mom wanted to be an athlete. Well, is that what you want to do? Like, deep down, when, once you spend enough time in your heart, like, you know, working with a coach or a therapist, like, is that really what fuels you up? For my siblings, success might be to have a big house that's paid for, to be a landowner. For, you know, for me, success is to have freedom and to not to have enough money to travel, put my kids through university if they decide that's what they want to do uh, and to not be at risk. Like, you know, but I don't need to to live in a in a mansion uh, to have a big property. Uh, is it because I'm thinking small? I don't know. I, I, I'd rather be traveling you know success for me is to, is to be healthy to be mobile to be meeting people to have emotional agility to feel good in my skin mm-hmm. in various situations and to be of service in the world to do something with I was given a light of sorts my name means light <laughs> believe it or not loose from the root means light and if I can honor that give back. I've been a very lucky person despite some adversity uh, and I, if I can live my purpose, that is that's super success for me. Mm-hmm. So my playbook will look very different to somebody who's aspiring to have acreage with you know, to be a landowner and to have as many cars as you can get and to get a Porsche or whatever, you know, landmark like, or milestone they want to get to. Um, So it's knowing what needs to go in your playbook,
0: right? And then once you have the playbook, this would, again, specifically with coaching.
1: I like to write tools. I like tools.
0: That's what I was going to (laughs) say. Well, I was going to say from the playbook, what are the tools? I literally have that word written down um, here (laughs) that help that person take action on those plays, you know what are you know that's cuz that again that's where the rubber meets the road and
1: yeah so for yeah so let's and I know you want to get to that and I don't think I'm being clear enough but let's say um okay I want to have a house X, Y, Z somewhere. Okay, so what do you need to get there? Well, I need to have a down payment of this much. Okay, well, how long is that going to take? Um, And then kind of just start planning goals and objectives with dates, champion names, having a critical path. And that I use a lot of business tools in life coaching. Once we know all the fluffy and the internal landscape stuff, we make real goals mm-hmm. with accountability, right? Um, And again, sometimes, you know, it just needs to be, like a vision. Like for me, I'd like to work work, uh, remotely and only have a a small studio in Vancouver. I want to live on the boat half the year. Uh, Okay. So what do you, what do you need to do? Well, you need to buy proper, you know, like we just get it into actions just like you would. Yeah. Having a business plans, what are the resources needed vision and break it down project management (laughs) one-on-one.
0: Absolutely. And we get so many people get stuck there or they get stuck on the you know, if you're doing um, not a SWOT analysis, but just a straight up comparison of like pros and cons, yeah, yeah. people get oh, yeah. real good at the cons um, or the reasons why, the things that they can't do, yeah, versus the things that they can do to enable this thing. And I just there's such a simplicity and clarity that comes from breaking something down oh. to its essence that. Puts it in a frame that almost anybody can see. That's right. And what I've seen in you know, you mentioned you know, accountability versus fear trigger. Like this is where again, okay, so on the cycle of 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 any given thing, we're trying to enact. We're going to have to face that saboteur. We're going to have to integrate, step into accountability. You know, take action, etc., etc. And I find that like there was these two things that were shared with me for my first coach ever. I actually printed them for our call and uh, it's, it's the trigger wheel and it's the accountability wheel. I'll show them to you, but obviously the audience doesn't get to see them. but maybe you've seen that before.
1: No, No, I mean, no, I have not.
0: So I will describe these and then you can, you can comment. So the the trigger wheel is it's, it's a wheel obviously. So it's, it's like, you can think of it like four arrows going around Mm And so we have the trigger, the thing that gets us. This, you know, so there's a moment like, you know, all of a sudden we want to do this thing. We want to buy the boat and sail up for a year on it, but all of a sudden that thought triggers us in a way that we can't act on it. Okay. Mm. As an example.
1: Like a roadblock?
0: Like a roadblock, right? Well, we're okay, triggered. Yeah. We're, whatever it is that's triggered us, right? Maybe that wasn't a great example. You know, maybe another example is. You know, you weren't promoted at work. Somebody else was, so now you're triggered because you feel like you're not worthy. Worthy. Yeah. Your your thoughts. You know, your your shadow starts to sound off on you, and um, whatever it is that's triggered you, you then step into a fear response. So some of those fear responses can be. People-pleasing, blaming, compromising, procrastinating, apologizing, taking things personally, making mm-hmm. jokes about yourself, like being self-deprecating, workaholism, an emotional drama junkie. Those fear response and responses then leave you with a core negative feeling of helplessness, which is that core negative feeling of helplessness leads you into self-destructive behavior, being a negative attitude, self-pity, negative self-talk, making excuses, complaining, you know, just daydreaming, not taking action. And so you're on this you're on this cycle. You can't step into the thing you want to do because you're you're stuck in this. Uh, and it shows like one of some of the symptoms um, of your wheel of fear that were triggered on is like you're impatient, exhaustion, self-righteousness, feeling misunderstood, paranoid, paralyzed, ashamed, defeated, out of control, confused, you know, victimized, judgmental, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, recognizing, okay, well, am I? Do I have those symptoms? Am I exhausted? Am I feeling? Impatient? Am I being a victim, or am I being overly judgmental? And and these actions, these responses of like people pleasing and blaming, etc. Dra- emotional drama junkie tell you when you're not in that wheel that's going to help you get things done. And then, to your point, when you have this action plan, this playbook, and you're on, you know, you you recognize, okay, I'm operating triggered. Now I need to step into accountability, which leads to inner joy and happiness. It's proactive behaviors, it's self affirming behaviors, which you know, signs that show you're on this wheel because you've taken action against this is you know, you're present, you're accepting, you're centered, empowered, energized, satisfied, engaged, curious, you know, you see synchronicities, you feel an act on inner strength, and you, you have sort of a, a sense of abundance. And the bridge between these things is the recognition and then choosing a different thought, choosing a different action, then falling into, you know, staying on that fear wheel. And I just, you know, I found in my own life that so often I've more often than I care to admit, even if I've been getting things done, I've been on that fear wheel. I've been on that accountability wheel. And, uh, and there's a visceral awareness of it, but more and more now it's like, okay, well, I recognize that, but how do I step into action? Accountability, excuse me.
1: Yeah. See, I would. I've never seen that model before. And each coach, you know, will have a different model. By the time with my clients, by the time we really get into goals and objectives and having like a critical path, like with dates and champions and all of that, we have done all the foundational work, namely module two about saboteurs. We know exactly what they are. They have names. They have, we know when they show up, what they say, where they come from, whose voice it is. We are super acquainted. So by the time we get to roadblock central, where a client says, it's not going to work. I'm like, okay, who's speaking? Is it like Ranger Dan? Or is it, and we we give them often like, you know, silly names because we kind of make fun of them a little bit. Just, you know, we have this sort of basic like, You know, so they're very like, you know, I have my own, I have my couch potato. And if I'm like, Oh, I should cancel today. I'm really tired. And I'm like, okay, who's speaking? Is it couch potato? That's like just trying to get away with doing nothing today. Oh yeah. So we're really well acquainted with the the people on the bus that are going to try to, you know, so, and they're personalized. So they're easy to spot that way. And then we can say, okay, is that a real risk or is that just, um, you know, and I, I often use the um, positive intelligence like saboteur model. Uh, that's, you know, there's that free test online. It's, it's really good model. Uh, so you know the hyperachiever, the you know stickler and there's nine I think saboteurs and 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 because we give them names and characters like it's really easy to to go back to oh yeah Lisa the scientist is trying to get data again yeah more data like just procrastination you know Mm -hmm. so we can really uh, counter counteract their their voice and really assess their roadblock for what it is and then keep going so yeah just different framework essentially can can
0: ask a question about that is there is there a um, you know we talk about flow, flow, true acceptance where you're not going to shame yourself or guilt yourself if you let Coach Potato or Lisa, the data person, out to play? <laughs> um, where it's times that that's just okay.
1: So yes, in in my coaching school. The way they treated saboteurs was always like eradicate them. There's nothing good there, and I'm like, I don't agree. Couch potato is, you know, if I get a lot of rest, you know, like there's a way. It's just there's a line where it become where it become problematic. It can become problematic. And Lisa, the data scientist, she means really well. Just like our anxiety, anxiety is there to protect us. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with having an anxiety alarm, like a fire alarm. There's nothing wrong, uh, but it's just how much you let that rule your life is the same for for these saboteurs. That guy that always needs to have like 18 cans of tomatoes in the cupboard in case the end of the world, you know, whatever. It's it's good to stock some things, but if it makes you go crazy and like, there's it's just a line But I do think each saboteur, and we go through that in the exercises with the client, I think each saboteur, even though if they ran the show, it would make kind of life unlivable uh, and full of limitations, I think think they all bring something good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me too of like this, there are boundaries as well. It's not all, well, I'm just going to let these run wild because I'm going to let my life flow. And it's not all... I'm going to shame myself for doing that, you know, because we're society right now, we're in like an, an anti-shame moment where you're not allowed to food shame or you're not allowed to do anything. And it's like, well, actually there's food. That's not healthy. So, you know, I'm not saying that anything other than not all food is good and not all sitting on the couch is good. That's not, you know, it's not all positive. There's positive moments and being able to be in the ebb and flow of those oh. is a beautiful thing.
1: A hundred percent. And accepting, you know, all parts of ourselves, right? I don't know. I think that's the gift of midlife. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be black or white, successful, fail or pass. You know, for, for me, I find a lot of freedom in being more agile mm-hmm. in general, with with people with my tolerance uh of to tolerance to risk to cold water at the beach to traffic jams can i just be mm-hmm. like agile within all of that my quality of life goes like way up yeah because i'll give you i'll give you an example about agility like i um i go to the beach a lot going to the beach is my thing and the water is cold here in vancouver <laughs> And i you and I don't like cold water by nature, I like very hot temperatures, uh including the water, like a lot of sun, like the heat dome for me was primo like day at the beach, eight hours straight, even though it was terrible environmentally, I'm aware of that, but going in the water was you know the, the so I have two choices going the water's not is not warm, it's like you know sixty degrees or something. I go in. I can go in, arms crossed, and say, "Ah, oh, it's cold. It's cold. I don't think I can go. I don't think I can go." And then complain about it all day, like I would have probably done a long time ago. Or, you know, especially this year and last year, I've really trained myself to acclimate to that. That's the that's the temperature the water is going to be. I want to be floating. It's good for my nervous system, for my grounding. This water is beautiful. I go to Reg Beach many times a week. And I just like, I would love to be able to love this experience completely. It's such a gift, it's such a beautiful beach. And I train myself to develop a taste for for this crisp, fresh water instead of hating it the way I used to. And that my well-being in that moment, my fulfillment goes way up. And you know, when people are like, oh, it's so cold. How do you do it? I love swimming. And if it's if I had to adjust my perception of the cold and what it does to my body, it's beautiful the, the the way that the body reacts, you know, with the goosebumps and you get to swim with seals. Like, what's not to like? But again, it's adjusting the perspective to be more in the flow, in acceptance, in, in, in the same rhythm as nature, instead of resisting and just say, yeah, that's not warm enough. I'm going to go to a pool. You choose your experience that you want to have.
0: Yeah, that's, that's one of the... Uh... I mean, I'm not in a, a cold immersion community, um, Me neither. but you see it from the outskirts and I'm not saying this is the message, but it feels very, you know, I'll do my meditation. It's good for mm-hmm. recovery. It's good for mental toughness. It's good for alertness. It's good for all these things, mm. but someone, you know, it was a breathwork pra- practitioner named Carmen Gon who's been on the podcast and she said, you know, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's actually about learning to face, well, not only, but in part is about learning to face discomfort Mm. with a more relaxed, positive mindset to step into that freezing cold water and say, I'm going to enjoy this because it's going to do these wonderful things for me is a very different experience than like bracing it or enduring it and therein lies the life magic as well
1: it's for sure and again giving myself time i I would love to learn how to enjoy that a little bit more rather than oh you have to go make yourself go and like badger yourself in going i always opt for kindness gentleness i would love to to really learn how to love this or and you know what it did for me as, you know, somebody living with anxiety, I used to be really anxious to be out on the water. Like think of a paddle board in deep cove, like, you know, 50, 60, hundred feet off the shore that would have terrified me years ago because the water was cold for me. It would have been like falling in lava, like, you know, and I went this summer and I never do that. And I'm like, oh, I touched the water and I'm like, oh, that's not that cold. Now my body's used to it. If I fall in water now, I don't feel at risk. Mm-hmm. What a gift. It yeah. completely changed my day. Years ago, I would have been so terrified to fall in water or to have a wave come on the board because it was so cold and unmanageable. So that's what I mean by agility. Now it's and just more, more is accessible.
0: Yeah. And just expand that mm. to everything. So now it's the person who doesn't like conflict. If you can change your perspective and have more agility around conflict, if you can have more agility around stress, more agility around risk, all of a sudden your life opens up into flow and away from everything is an obstacle or a challenge to be overcome. And they are just things that that we can approach the same way you approach cold water um, now. And then it changes. It's a beautiful metaphor.
1: And we don't have to be as grippy. Oh, I gotta, I gotta control everything. I gotta control this. I can only go to the bank if there's nobody. I can only go in the water if it's above eighty. I can only oh Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I used to live like that, you know? When I I was spread so thin. I mean,
0: most of us either did or do live like that to a major degree, whether whether there is an aspect of our lives that we're, we're, we're at ease and flowy in, maybe it's when, you know, when we're in Mexico on vacation, but then when school season starts, right. And mm. this goes back to what I said about, you know, societal pressures and structures that inform us, give us the feedback loops that could create a lot of the constraints that give us this tension
1: mm.
0: and, you know, routines and schedules, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, my kids need to learn responsibility and and it's a good thing. It's a respectable thing to be on time and all those things are good. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we're also run off our feet Monday to Friday. Well, we were last um, school year, we we changed it this year because it was so ridiculous. It was so stressful. Mm. And, you know, finding a little more ease will have more benefits than Creating more stressors, I think, you know, in a healthy relationship with each other, of ease and stress, which leads me to, you know, I you've given me so much of your time, and I'm very grateful for. It, and I wanted, I wanted to ask a few, you know, key questions. Um, not key questions, can, questions I'd like to ask everybody. Because we've been talking about your cold immersion and your going to the beach and, and different things.
1: They're like not that. cold immersion, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, not I me. would consider Vancouver's water most of the year pretty close to cold immersion.
1: I only go in the summer, but okay, I, I'm with you though. Up it it until, was challenging. Up until
0: August, it's pretty damn <laughs>
1: cold. It was challenging for me. I will give you yeah. that. Okay. I please.
0: um I mean I went in it this August. It, it's like June. If you're in there in June, it's not warm.
1: Oh no, I was there in May.
0: <laughs> okay. That's cold. And
1: May this year was cold. We didn't get sunshine. Yeah, no, that
0: ain't that ain't a bathtub. Oh, no. (laughs) So what what are what are some of your routines? How do you how do you go about your days?
1: Uh, These days, there's a lot of because my business has been ramping up quite a lot. Mm -hmm. I am you know, needing to know what is a good amount of sessions and what is not. So there's a lot of self-care. My life right now is really around, I am my tool. I am, you know, I am my main tool. I don't sell other things. I sell my services. So I got to make sure I look after this machine that I am really well. So waking up in the morning, just little kind of grounding practice, tuning in to my gut, what's present. If I had dreams, you know, kind of analyze that, like, you know, what's present within me, you know, and then you set an intention for the day. And if I if a day is, you know, overwhelming book too much that happened to me creates a sense of overwhelm. I'm like, okay, yeah, I understand. You know, you've you've got five sessions. That's a lot right now. How am I going to decide to see this? You know, how can I see this? Or I had a session booked before the podcast today, and I'm like, oh, that's inconvenient. Actually, no, speaking to somebody for an hour before speaking to Joel is actually a good thing. Like just taking a moment to say, what perspective do I need to have to be my best ally today?
0: So you try and do all that in the morning? You try and uh well usually
1: in the morning I, I like to I'm very cat-like I like to stretch for a, a long time in bed <laughs> and um you know when I have my coffee I, I just contemplate a lot but this is just this part of my life these days we're coming into fall I you know for me when it's sunny outside I really have the urge to go outside so other than that I try to do yoga uh, at least twice a week That really gets me back in my body, community, Mm -hmm. especially now that the beach is not as warm because at the beach, I get a lot of the heat, the sun and community as well. Uh, There's going to be less of that. So I have to find somebody. So I'm going back to hot yoga to kind of bring that and it's, it's really hot.
0: (laughs) I'll tell you just as a quick digression, my, one of my buddies who was also on the podcast, his name's Aaron Friedman. He, uh, he does hot hot yoga working out so mm. it's it's like Bikram yoga with dumbbells yeah and I was like and he's like swears by it because he has so many injuries and he's like in there there's no yeah. it's like that sounds awesome and intense <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah no that sounds really intense. I I get really sweaty in there. I'm not a sweaty person, but it's just really like it's so hot and we we get to move. But uh no, my life's pretty simple right now. Like honestly, just getting on my bike, tending to to my knees. I mean, you know, a lot of change right now in my life mm-hmm. and it's important to really work on my foundation. So mm-hmm. it is be mindful of what what I need, what my family needs. Uh, how I can be a good human today, how I can deal with the imposter voices in my head that tell me that I have no business doing what I do. I mean, I'm just a normal human person, right? And dealing with all of that with values that are important to me, integrity, connection, growth, authenticity, show up the best that I can and be of service for people. So that might mean, you know, going for a walk and be nice to my neighbors and be neighborly and... But learning a new craft, like doing this full-time, it's important that I'm really intentional and mindful about where I put my energies
0: yeah, and, how can, a...
1: and how I can do activities that re-energize me as well.
0: That leads me right into what was my next question, which is your creative process when you're stepping into not just a day. But something intentionally creative, like creating your playbook, like taking the course to develop, learn how to be a coach and develop your own course, coaching program. How do you, how do you, do, is there a difference when you're trying to to be deliberately and purposefully creative on something to create something? I don't just mean art. I mean, you
1: know. uh huh. Yeah. It's a calling from my gut. Uh, every coaching program that I've created. Because there's some like shorter exercises, you know. I I have a few. It's on it's on my website. It comes from a need. Oh, like that I had myself. Like transition. I have a program about transition. Okay, so I put a three part program. Okay, you get it. What happened? Grieve. Uh, you know, zero ground zero, and then what are we building? Building a new right one two three, because I needed structure to get me through that transition. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna take myself, I'm gonna coach myself to that. And I'm like, oh, I better capture this. It's gold. <laughs> yeah. Turn it into a program. And I get really excited that I'm trying it for myself and then I can help others. But yeah, no, it usually just comes as some kind of vision or epiphany or gut feeling. And it just I just need to write that down, capture it. And I get really excited.
0: Do you set a times? do you set specific times aside for this type of work? daily just no. project by project.
1: No, I don't because I have a very like I you know I don't I don't have my children with me. I live alone and I have a very flexible lifestyle by design. So, yeah, no other than grabbing meals here and there, I am and and tend into clients or other activities outside. I totally have free range. So, I just go with the energy, you know. If I don't feel like and I know that's not how real writers do it. Like, you know, I would aspire to write a book one day and I know you have to be disciplined and show up in front of the page. I think Steven Pressfield talked about that, right? Make yeah. yourself do it. But no, when something, uh, you know, they're shorter things, it, it just comes in bursts and I just tend to it and I'm having so much fun. Yeah,
0: that is fun. Was there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Look at me. Just, you know, in in my most recent relationship, in my current loving like partner partnership, I am discovering the power of having a fan, meaning, you know, like a fan, like you're a sports fan or something, somebody that's a fan of yours, somebody that when you talk about you and that you can also that you're a fan of them too, like reciprocity around that is whether it's friendships or your parents or your your person, like your intimate relationship in your life, somebody that true, truly sees your vision, gets where you're going and is totally a fan of what you have to say and, and do for the world is magnifying. It's so powerful. It's so nourishing. And that notion of having a fan. So there's that meaning I admire you what you do but also that person by their support is fanning your flame Mm -hmm. like it's twofold having somebody when your flame goes kind of like oh I don't think I'm gonna be able to publish my book and they're just like fanning it just because they believe in you that that is something that I'm discovering in an intimate partnership is that and I'm a fan of his and he's a fan of my like you know like what a gift Dignity. I don't know why
0: I wanted to say that. It no, just, I it. it makes sense.
1: But, and, and you said earlier, you know, what would partners, you know, need to do? I see a lot of these men, they don't have a fan mm-hmm. in their, in their life. They don't think they can express their deepest desires and, and yearnings because it's going to get shut down. And that's really sad to me. And I'm privileged to have somebody in my life who, when I like, express something it's received with curiosity and support, but I mean, I yeah. can
0: attest to that, that, you know, all throughout my life, whether it was one person here, there was always changing fans, you know, everyone was always still there, but there, uh, some were more present at different times and it was always the right person at the right time that just helped you. Yeah. Sponsors. Well, yeah. That kind I mean, of, I don't exactly mean sponsors that, in room. Real- I know that exact kind of idea. And it's just like there's a synchronicity and there's an openness to and a receptivity to, you know, for instance, some I had uh, somebody canceled something with me because they were upset and they didn't feel like, based on the terms and conditions of our relationship, they didn't feel like they were entitled to another session. Another t- And I said, no, let's just do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm the same.
0: And she was like, no, 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 no. Can't do it. I need to, I said, there's strength in allowing someone to reach out their hand to you as much as there is in lifting yourself up. There's strength in both. And that's what I hear you saying when I hear about fans um, and, and just being open to who might be your fan in your life.
1: 100%. Even if it's your mom. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to feel seen, understood, and and supported, like to have somebody with a light in their eye, they get where you're going, is so mm-hmm. powerful. And I would I would answer that. You know, earlier when you said, Okay, you coach men, what would you tell their partners? Mm-hmm. I that's the answer. I came to it at the very end. I would say just be a fan of your man. If you're no longer a fan, if you no longer believe in what your man can do, is worth or his impact in the world, question yourself, is it time? Is it an expired relationship? Be a fan of your guy, even though he doesn't show it. He he needs empathy. He needs, he needs support. He needs to see that you're proud of what he's doing. That's what I see.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I think those are great words to, to part on. So I agree. Where, where do you want people to come find you? Social media, website, whatever, wherever, whenever, however, do they come to you?
1: Mm, My website is the best. I haven't been, I I don't have a great social media presence. It's it's been sporadic. So, and it's my name. So not the easiest, but loosecompagna.com is where you can see what I'm about. And you can, you know, book consultation there, a free consultation and see if we can be a fit to work together. Yeah i mean i I have like at loose campagna coaching on on Instagram, but i haven't been i'm not one of these influencer that post content every day
0: I, me neither it's uh I, the I, game I, I've tried to play it's 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 a it's a hard game.
1: <laughs> I did yeah. when, when I was inspired. Truly, when I post something, it's because my heart says I want to say this, and mm-hmm. then I create a little canva something together and put it out there because I care. But if I'm just going my you know on my day to day, yeah, I don't have a routine of posting to attract clients. Um, and maybe maybe I should, but I really don't. So it's it's not that entertaining of a page.
0: <laughs> so go to your website. We'll um we'll yeah. have that up in the show notes make sure to send it to me in the show notes so that I can, or I can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think we're all blessed that you found your way into this, into this profession. And thank you you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experiences here on the Ramble today. I was, uh, I was really excited to talk to you. (laughs) You certainly delivered. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Joel.
0: As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. You know, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and you know, all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post anything, we'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests to think we should have on. Of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace. Hey, thanks so much for making it to the end of the podcast. I know that my Self and of course my guests really appreciate you listening all the way through. You know, they put a lot of time into their projects and their ideas, and and you know, they're very thoughtful with how they they bring themselves and show up on the show. And so I'm really grateful that uh, that you listened all the way through. You know, we don't have ads on the show. I think I don't think Red Circle's running ads, but I wanted to take just a quick second to say that hey, if the spirit moves you, you know, this podcast can be brought to you by some of the wild, fun, wacky, creative things. I do. I always try and stay in the practice of creativity, whether that's writing or working on films or, uh, just about anything. I I try and be very diligent that I'm, I'm doing it consistently. And so, you know, as a result of that, I put some things out and, and I'd love for you to check them out. one is, uh, Getting Naked, The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship and Startups. That's my book, and you can get it anywhere where books are sold online, like Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or Indigo. And uh, it's the story of my company, Naked Underwear, the first company I started that went from a failed attempt on Dragon's Den, um, that's your shark tank in America, to the NASDAQ and was eventually divested. And it has a ton of tips and ideas for startups, very practical advice, but it's always also interwoven with my own story, which I think entrepreneurs and creatives and artists can really uh would really relate to. Uh, you know, it has almost 155-ish star, four and a half star reviews. And I think people, if you're going through, you know, a startup need some motivation, need some ideas, just want to feel like hey, there's a kindred spirit out there, you know, it's a great book to check out. Also, you can check out my blog at joelprimus.com forward slash blog where I write a couple of blogs a month about a variety of topics, a lot of stuff on fitness, things like how to know when to quit, a lot of personal development, psychedelics, all kinds of things. Everything's written from a personal lens. And, uh, you know, it's just a great way to digest a little bit of hopefully fun and helpful and inspiration. And of course, keep checking out this podcast, The Ramble, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever your podcatcher of choice is. Thanks again, and have an awesome day, week, month, whatever it is.